Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. So grateful and excited. Again, I said this earlier, and, and Kevin even said it like, I'm actually blown away that you guys are here. And I think that's beautiful and that's awesome. We will for sure always have church unless something wild happens. Even if the power goes down, we'll just turn on our lights and we got acoustics set up. So um, I'm just grateful that you guys are here. And, and again, I know there's people online, so we welcome you. We love you. We're grateful for you. Let's go ahead and pray and we're going to get started. Jesus, we come before you right now, God, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy And we just ask, oh, Father, that you would um, make yourself known this morning. We ask, oh, God, that you would reveal your goodness to us and that you would speak, Father, from your word, your word that sharpens us, it refines us, it even at times cuts us. And I pray, oh, Lord, that we would allow that word to do a deep work in us. And it's in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So in 720 B.C., the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom of Samaria and they captured it. They then transported the entire population, men, women, and children, and they took them captive and they took them to their capital or to different parts in their nation because the Assyrians at this time, they ruled. But, of course, some were left behind. Imagine if we were invaded by the Russians or something, right? And we're inhabited, like all of us were taken there, but some would still stay, right? Some would find a way to hide, or I mean, of course, we, that's a whole other conversation. But nevertheless, in this time of um, 720 BC, the Assyrians, they invaded, they took the inhabitants, the Jews, but some were left behind. Some find, found a way to hide. But when, what happened was the Jews then that were there, they they started to live and they started to flourish. And so then these Assyrians, what they would do is after a a certain amount of time, they started to intermarry with the Jews. So this was not a good thing because to a Jew or to a Hebrew, if you know the story of Abraham and like the blood of a Hebrew, it was sacred. You were a quote, child of God in the Old Testament if you were a Jew, you were sort of chosen. But if you were to intermarry and have children, then the ethnicities were blended and you were no longer a purebred Jew. So this wasn't good. In fact, this was actually looked down upon. And if you did this, you were no longer considered a Jew to the Jewish culture. So they lost their right to be called Jews. Yet, when the other tribes were taken into captivity, they kept their Jewish race. So we find Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go under Nebuchadnezzar within the Babylonian Empire, and they hold their race. We see the book of Ezra, where the Jews are there, and they don't ever really intermarry, except, of course, Ezra and the king, um, Esther and the king. However, they, 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 they saw their sacred um, blood as pure, and they didn't want to interconnect that. So when they came back, I'm giving you like history here, when they came back as, um, if you read the book of Ezra and you read the book of Nehemiah, eventually the Persian king gave grace to a man named Ezra and said, you know what, you can go back, 
Nehemiah, you can go back and rebuild the walls that were damaged and broken in Jerusalem. So they go back after hundreds of years. They sort of wanted to go back to their homeland. They missed their home. When they went back, the mixed breed, which were the Samaritans now, from the Assyrians that, became, that were Jews, they, entered, they wanted to come and help. And the Jews said, you are not welcome to help us. You are not one of us. And this is where they began a feud, a, a disconnection, a barrier, walls that were put up between the two races. And yet, we see that even today, don't we? A lot of barriers, a lot of walls. We seem to like love our own, and sometimes it could even feel like an us versus them. And yet, we see in this story, if you are familiar with the scriptures, Jesus meeting a woman, the woman at the well. But yet, I want to spend some time, and so we're going to go to John 4, verses 1 through 9. We're not going to read the whole story because there's so much to talk about, but I want to sort of give you the magnitude of these barriers, these walls that grew and grew throughout the years to even now, today, if you are a Jew and you sort of have, you know, you get married with, like, it's looked down upon, it's not good, but I want to read you uh, John chapter 4, starting at verses 1, it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. You see there, the context? How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And if you have in your Bible, see those kind of quotes there or those, those, those brackets? This is John trying to explain to the community, the audience to which he's writing the feud. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So if I had a title for today, um, it would be Breaking Barriers. The thing that I love about Jesus, if you study him from the time that he is born to the time that he dies and the time he's resurrected, every single interaction he has at times is like he's breaking down another barrier. He's breaking down another wall. He is the barrier breaker. And if I had sort of like a subtitle, it would be building bridges, not walls. You see, I feel like many of us, even when we're disciples or Christians or followers of Jesus, We tend to do this often, and it's not the way of Jesus. So it's like, imagine you're a Christian, right, or you're a disciple, and all of the political upheaval that just took place not too long ago, did you uh, find yourself on a, quote, side? Well, is it was an us versus them? I would argue, my friend, that that is not the way of Jesus, He actually broke the barriers. He did not build walls. He built bridges. 
And so when we begin to build walls and when we say, oh, you know, like, I don't like you because of your ethnicity or I don't like you because of the job you have or I don't like you because you're political, you know, the donkey or the elephant and all the in-between, then, oh, well, something's wrong with you. There's an ideological framework around that, and, and, and now it's an us versus them mentality. And yet I would say when we look at the person of Jesus, remember, he teaches us how to live. He teaches us how to be. He teaches us how to interact in love and grace and even, quote, judgment. So in this passage of Scripture, here is the scene. Palestine is 120 miles. Aiden, if you could put that screen, that image up. Um, this is, this is Palestine in the day of Jesus. It was 120 miles from Galilee all the way to Judea, from north to south. In the time of Jesus, there were three divisions of territory within those 120 miles. So do you see Galilee way up at the top? And then Judea way down at the bottom. And where, right in the middle, what do you see? Samaria, right? So... At the north was Galilee, and at the south was Judea, and Samaria was in the middle. Verse 1 says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although he wasn't. It was his disciples. So he left Judea, right, to go to Galilee once more. So Jesus noticed his ministry was gaining traction. And because he didn't want, this is, this is a quick side note. I love this about Jesus, by the way. I mean, how would you feel if everyone has eyes on you? Man, this is like this new Jesus rabbi and like people were getting baptized and John the Baptist is like, he doesn't have the fame anymore. So many were coming just to see of this Jesus. Jesus is like, ah, I need to leave. I don't like all eyes on me like this. I have an assignment and it's not to be glorified here within a popular status quo. It's to do the will of God, the God and to bring heaven here on earth. And yet, as disciples of Jesus, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in this really quick. Eyes on me and what I do and what I can. And, and so that's just a quick side note. The problem was that there were a centuries-old issue with the Jew and the Samaritan. The quickest way to Galilee was to go through Samaria, which would take three days if you walked there. The other route was to cross the Jordan. You see the Jordan? There's a, that big river on the right-hand side. The other way was to cross the Jordan, go up the eastern side of the river to avoid Samaria, and recross the Jordan. This route took twice as long, by the way. So because Jesus was different... And because Jesus didn't care about the culture, and because Jesus didn't care what man said, he said, no, we're going to go through Samaria. He didn't follow the unhealthy customs of the day. He took the short route, which was the route that was most controversial. But he didn't care about what people said. He cared about the kingdom and about what God had called him to do. So, verse 4 now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. You see, this area for the Jew had many memories attached to it. Are you, are you good with the teaching of this, by the way? It's so important that we, like, know the story. You see, 
we can so quickly read this, and this is like the danger if we don't do our own biblical due diligence, is we can read it and be like, oh, that's so good. The woman at the well, she was thirsty. God gave her water. Yes, that's the story. But my, my friend, it's so much deeper than that. The magnitude of understanding the context and the literature and what John was trying to say to us, this is where we need to become Bible students so that we can really get a grasp of what's taking place here. So this area for the Jew had many memories attached to it. Do you see how John says this is Jacob's area that he had given to Joseph? So Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? Abraham had a son named Isaac. He had another one named Ishmael, and that's the feud today within the Muslim and the Jew. That's a whole other conversation. Abraham had Isaac, okay? Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the, that's the four founding fathers of the way that Jesus were to impact the world for the rest of the world. And so Abraham has his son Isaac, and Isaac has his son Jacob, and then Jacob has two sons, right? Or Jacob has many more sons. Um, it was Isaac who had two sons, and there was one son, Jacob, who wanted the birthright, and he took it. And Jacob means like the liar or the deceiver, and so Jacob has his own story, and he wrestles with God, and he finds beauty within God, and then God changed his name to Israel, but Jacob has then 12 sons. There's a lot of sons. One of them was Joseph. You know the story. I don't know if you have it. You've got to go read the story. This is the thing about the Bible. If you only read one story, it's powerful. That's how good God is and how he did this, but you've got to read the whole story. So nevertheless, Jacob and Joseph, they're really important people because they got, J Joseph brought all of the Jews or the Hebrews to Egypt one day because he was second in command of Pharaoh. Joseph was highly favored. And so then all of his, quote, people, Abraham's sons, were able to move into Egypt. But one day, the Bible says there grew a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And so he was like, there are more of these Jews than there are Egyptians. They will surely conquer us one day. Let's make them slaves. And so then for hundreds and hundreds of years, they were slave under the Egyptian rule. And then there's a man named Moses who rose up. God will always rise up somebody to push his mission forward, and he brings them out of Egypt. You got that? So this was the area that Jacob bought, by the way, this land in Genesis 33, if you like taking notes, Genesis 33, 18 to 10. And Jacob, on his deathbed, gave that ground to Joseph. That's Genesis 48, 22. And when Joseph died in Egypt, his body was buried in this land. That's Joshua 24, 32. So you can see how special and how precious this particular land was to the Jew. It was sacred ground. It was holy ground. In verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? You see, when Jesus and his disciples came to this area, Jesus sat down to rest. There was then a shift. I want this a small little passage of scripture. It says his disciples were with him, and then he's, he's thirsty, so they go into this land. And I was thinking about this. It would have been almost nearly impossible for these Jews that lived in this time that hated the Samaritans to ever even go into Samaria, let alone into their town. 
But with Jesus, my friend, there was always a shift that begins to take place in you. Always a shift. Because before they had met Jesus, it was entirely unlikely that they would have even stepped foot in this area. So, as a side note, this has something to do with your walk with Jesus, doesn't it? Because what he's known for is breaking barriers in your mind. Imagine being one of his disciples, raised in this area, okay, in Palestine, raised as a Jew, understanding the Torah, knowing the feud, knowing the frustration, hearing about the Pharisees talking against the Samaritans and how evil they were and how wicked they were. And here comes this rabbi, this 30-year-old Jesus, baptizing people, saying, we need to get out of this area to go somewhere else. And so as they're going on the way, they're like, Jesus, we need to like go around. He's like, no, we're going through. And, and oftentimes I have found in my own discipleship to Jesus, we try to go around. But when you're with God, he will always take you right through. Whatever obstacle, whatever barrier, whatever issue, stop going, quote, around. Stop bypassing the issue in your family system. Stop sweeping things under the rug. You have to address it head on. And so Jesus teaches his disciples because remember, in the Hebrew way of learning, it was come and see. Come and see. Learn from me. Walk with me. But Jesus, ah, uh, we shouldn't be doing this. Nah, that's all right. We'll be fine. No, Jesus, I don't think you understand. Hey, if you want to follow me, this is my way. You can go do your own thing. There's plenty of other rabbis you can follow, but this is how we're going to do it. Okay, Jesus. Hey, guys, you, we're hungry. We need, you need, I need you to go get food in Sakaar. Uh, but we're Jews, they're Samaritans, that's fine, go do it. Do you see the difference? And what, what we can miss so quickly is as disciples here, we can contextualize that to a lot of different areas in our life. Oh no, you know, it's kind of scary to do that, I don't think we should do it. No, we should go through it, not around it. So what Jesus does is he lifts the lid of limitations in your mind. When you follow him, when you walk with him, when you're discipled under him, he will push you through, not around. Does that make sense? So it's like, all right, with Jesus, you become dangerous. Did you know that? If you truly walk with him as your Messiah, you will become dangerous. Not in the way that the world categorizes danger, but for the kingdom. But for the kingdom. So he breaks barriers in our view of others. He breaks limitating mindsets that we place on ourselves and that we place on others. I love that as Jesus, as they followed him, he pushed them, he stretched them, and he called them to more. That's a language that we have within our culture that Jesus, with him, you're gonna be called to more. If you wanna be invited into our community and walk with us, you will at times, my friend, be called to more. If there's issues and there's a, a misconception within discipleship to Jesus, we will, if we have equity in, in relationship with you, we will call you to more. Hey, it's not healthy that we do this. Jesus showed us a different way. So to the disciples, little by little, he pushes, he stretches, he calls us, he breaks barriers. Perhaps for them, even unconsciously, the barriers were being broken down. Time to wake up for somebody. <laughs> so as Jesus sat there, a Samaritan woman came to get water from the well. While she was half a mile, this is important, 
She was half a mile from Sychar when she lived where she lived. So she meets Jesus at this well, Jacob's well, but if you look at the map, it's not on the map. Uh, maybe it is. Yeah, there's Sychar, but th this map doesn't display Jacob's well. The distance between Sychar and, and the, the Jacob's well was about half of a mile. So you have to ask yourself, what on earth? And there was water in Sychar. Why would this woman be going this far to, to, to pull water? Something's going on, right? Because there was water there. As we will find out in the coming passages, she was very well an outcast. She was trying to run from all of the things that men and women would place on her and put on her. She was doing things she knew she wasn't supposed to be doing. She was broken inside. And so she would find herself walking a half a mile just to get water because she was too ashamed to come out in public because of what other people were saying about her. So the woman even drove the women would drive her away from the village. So verse 9, look at this. The Samaritan woman said to him, or said to her, yes, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So for one of the first times in her life, she had found somebody with kindness. One of the first times. And not just kindness from another man, we'll, we'll get on that in a moment, a rabbi, but also a Jew. He was kind instead of critical. And because of this, she opened up her heart. There's a reason, if I can just hit on this for a moment. When you meet with people, or if you're single, I'll talk to the single people. When you meet with people, it doesn't matter if you're single, any, any category of life, but specifically the singles. And you're like wanting to get, you know, equity with someone, relationship with someone. Like, you don't ever want to be critical, right? You don't want to like be upset, like drinking coffee, like acting like woe is me and I hate this and I hate that. It's like that person probably doesn't want to be with you or like that they're kind of negative or they're not encouraging or they're not uplifting. That's why the way of Jesus, he changes every part of our being. I want to be around people that are kind. How about you? I want to be around people, especially if we're disciples of Jesus, that are gentle and loving and show and occupy both a toughness and a tenderness. There's wisdom, actually, with being kind to somebody. That's how you make friends. So I've given this analogy many times with, like, poo and poo bear and all that. Is it called poo bear? Tigger. No, 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 but what's, like, it's called? Is it poo? Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> there's Tigger, and then there's Eeyore. Which one do you want to be? I want to be Tigger. And you're just like, well, but I'm not that extroverted. You don't have to be extroverted. It's, it's a mindset. The mindset is that Tigger is woe is me victim. And so he's always upset. He's always grumbling. He's always complaining. There's nothing good that happens in his life. Even if the sun is out, he's like, well, it's just kind of cold. Right? So yet with, with Tigger, he's so optimistic. He's open-minded. And I would argue that when you catch the way of Jesus, when you quote from Paul in the Bible, get the mind of Christ, because you have access to the mind of Christ, you become kind, you become generous, you become compassionate, you become loving, and the way that you speak to somebody is considering their emotions, which is called emotional intelligence. So when you go on a date, just listen. Listen. And be kind and be generous. 
when you're talking to someone that says something that you don't agree with, just be kind, just be generous, just be graceful. But when we become incredibly critical, we take on, in our Christianity, a Pharisaic mindset. Pharisaic mindset. We become Pharisees. And, and notice the Pharisee, they had a lot of zeal. Like, I'm actually, yeah, like, a lot of times we have this misconception of the Pharisee. They, they, they really loved God. They were just really judgmental. They were just very legalistic. And so they, they had no, it was very hard for them to have, they only had love for people that loved them back. So Jesus knew this in this woman. He already knew when he was walking up the, 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 the weight of a Jew and a Samaritan. He already knew the weight of this dialogue, and yet he opened up his heart to her, and she began to open up to his, her heart to him. There are few stories in the gospel record that show us so much about the character of Jesus, by the way. There are four key principles. If you like to take notes, I'm going to share four characteristics about Jesus that we must model and we must learn from. The first we must learn that Jesus was human. Did you notice he had to take a break because he was thirsty? This is what John is trying to show us, that not only is he fully God, but he's also fully man. He took on human nature to show us how to be human. And so we get tired. Do you get tired? I know I do. And it's not healthy when we go, 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 right? It's, it's, it's often wise to take a break and to just say, I need some water. And for me, it's like, I don't need coffee, I need water, right? I don't need the monster, I need the water. I don't need an energy drink, I need water. Well, Jesus was teaching us when you rest, when you come to a break, you have to regain energy, it's so important, and it's like sometimes we, we sort of sideline that, and the reason I'm bringing that up to you, it might be no big deal, but there are so many arguments theologically of Jesus' supremacy. There are um, people that I love that don't believe in Christianity but of other religions, but they believe that Jesus was a prophet. They don't believe he was God. They're just really upset that he took on human nature. Why? So that he could actually say, no, I know what you're going through. I know what it's like to get tired. I know what it's like to feel weak. I know what it's like to need water. So the second is we see the warmth of his heart for people, okay? So from an ordinary religious teacher or from one of the orthodox leaders of the day, this Samaritan woman would have left Jesus' presence in embarrassment, by the way, if he acted like every other rabbi or teacher. So, to explain this in the context, this woman would have avoided Jesus because he was a Jew and because he was a man. Instead, Jesus initiated the conversation. That's why he initiates it. That's why he says, will you give me a water? He knows what he's doing. So there's some wisdom with strategy. <laughs> there's wisdom with when you're thinking about the one that is far from God, with how you communicate, with how you articulate, with how you talk with them. He's, he's testing her because he wants her to know, I, I love you. Hey, woman, will you give me a drink? And we read over this like, why would you do that? Oh, he was tired. You wanted to? No, no, no. A Jew or even a man that was a rabbi wouldn't even talk to a woman. 
Do you understand that? But yet he does, because he breaks barriers. He doesn't care what the culture says. You can tell a lot by a person with their first initial presence, can't you? That's why even within our community, it's like we want, to, we want to invite people into our story. We want to invite people into the story of God. We want to be welcoming and loving and kind. It's, I was taught ever since I was a little boy. I mean, this is like childhood 101. When you see someone, you are to go greet them. You shake their hand. Hey, how you doing? What's your name? Right? Like there's, there's instead of like, Hi. It's like, no, 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 if Lenya does that, as she gets older, right now I don't want to pressure her because that's not, there's, not, there's wisdom in that too. But as she gets older, no, 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 you, you acknowledge the person in front of you. Do you want friends? <laughs> you talk to them, you shake their hand, you say hi, you, you ask them their name. This is understanding. And Jesus, he just showed us this. So you can tell a lot about a person by their first initial presence. Are they warm and loving or do they come off stale? or offensive, or critical. Um, and this is where you kind of need friends that love you, because sometimes they need to like share with you maybe blind spots, like, hey, when you talk with people, you seem like you're like mad. Like, are you mad? Right? And please, this is capping a lid on your mind when you say, well, that's just how I am. Well, good luck with that mindset. Jesus would say, uh, let's not do that. No, there's always room for growth. There's always learn to understand. There's always learn to develop. There's always room to open up your capacity to have emotional intelligence, not just for you, but for the other person. So that's why you need community. If we hung out long enough and we had interactions with people, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? This is my friend Johnny. Yeah, Johnny. It's like, hey. After a while, I'd be like, Johnny, bro, um, you got to like say hi to them, look them in their eyes, like greet them. Be like, it's, it's sometimes we think, but, but see, some of us didn't have fathers to teach us that, right? Like the mother had to do all of that. Moms have to do all of that. And sometimes moms are so busy, we forget. So there's something powerful about just, this is like really, really like specific stuff that Jesus teaches us. But let's go deeper. If by any unlikely chance he had spoken to her, she would have been met with an ashamed and even a hostile silence. Why? Because it seemed the most natural thing. Instead, she didn't, because it seemed the most natural thing in the world to talk to Jesus. It's natural to talk to him. It's natural to have a conversation with him. Sometimes people will ask me, well, how do I pray? Well, how do you talk? Do you talk? Talk to Jesus. Have a conversation with him. Open up your mouth. Share your heart, your desires, and as you grow in development to discipleship to Jesus, it's no longer what can you do for me, it's what can I do for you, God? So she had at last met someone who wasn't a critic but a friend, one who did not condemn but one who understood. My question to you is how are you doing with this with those around you? Are you a critic or are you a friend? Even if you don't agree with them, even if you don't understand what they're doing or how they're saying or how they're living, right? So here's the third one. This passage shows us Jesus as the barrier breaker because the Jewish Samaritan quarrel was more than 400 years old, right? We talked about that. So it created resentment and bitterness with each other. This is why the Samaritan woman was astonished that Jesus, a Jew, would even speak to her as a Samaritan. 
So you can see how Jesus didn't care about the feud. Do you see that? He didn't care about the conflict. He just went right to it. He was trying to show a new way for the people around him, but we have to ask ourselves then this question, what is the way that Jesus pushes us to even in our own life here in America, in California? How can I interact with people that stereotypically has created walls, the culture has created walls between me and them? Well, you don't do it as a critic, you do it as a friend. The Bible says Jesus was a friend of sinners. Could you imagine that statement as a Pharisee? That, they put that on him as bad news, as, as a bad category. Here's Jesus, the friend of sinners. And Jesus was like, bring it on, man, I am. That's who I am. So you can see how Jesus didn't care, right? Let alone the dysfunction of the day that it would affect his mission and his compassion for everyone. And then this is the last one um, that, that I really want to strike home with there was still another way in which Jesus was breaking barriers. And so for all the women, I just kind of want to speak to you for a moment. The Samaritan was a woman. She was a woman. And I might, we might lose people in our community for me to even say what I'm going to say, but I don't care. In our day, within Christianity, there is sort of this stigma against the woman. I don't know if you see it. If you're around Instagram enough and your algorithms pull it up with like pastors and preachers and Rick Warren and what he's doing within the Southern Baptist movement, and he's trying to press into something because he got really critically, uh, there was critics coming after him because he had women on his staff that were teachers. Well, the Bible says that a woman should not exercise or teach over a man. Well, do you know the context of that? So there's still the feud, which by the way, is millennia of a feud. Like I want you to grasp the, the, the impact of this. We're talking thousands of years theologically crisp minds that understand Hebrew and Greek and understand orthodoxy and understand culture and understand Paul that would say, no, a woman is not to exercise teaching over a man. There are those people that I see as men. They're theologically amazing. And yet on the other side, there's still just as much beautiful, theologically accurate, powerful men and women of God that study and know the Bible better than you and I will ever theologically. And they're like, no, women can be elders and women can teach. And so they've had that argument, friend, for thousands of years, by the way. So for me, I part on the side of women. That's just me. I, love, I call Kelly pastor. We don't talk about this enough, but she's pastor to me. She's pastor to this community. I see her as that. And now there's times in her season of life where it's hard for her to do that, but I still view, she, we, her and I, we do this together. She's not just a, quote, pastor's wife. And my, it just kind of bothers me sometimes. It's like, hey, don't diminish my wife. She's a pastor, right? So, and, and my friend, and I know there might be some of you that you're like, that really bothers me, and we can have conversations. We can have dialogue I can give you the resources that I had to learn and to struggle with and to wrestle with, but what I don't want to do is to say, you need to be silent. That's not the way of Jesus. He didn't silence this woman. He said, speak, let me hear you. There's so much more theological perspective around this, but I just want to make a side note, okay, just so you know. The strict rabbis would forbid a rabbi to greet a woman in public. Did you know that? The strict rabbis. You couldn't even say hi to a woman if you were a rabbi. Did you know that? 
a rabbi might not even speak to his own wife or daughter or sister in public if he was a rabbi and he wanted to be, quote, holy. There were even, you're going to love this one, (laughs) Pharisees who were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. They loved that name, by the way, because they shut their eyes when they saw a woman on the street and they would run into houses and walls. (laughs) The bruised Pharisees, that's what they were called. For a rabbi to be seen speaking to a woman in public was the end of his reputation. Jesus didn't care. In fact, if I can just give a little biblical due diligence, the woman that the women that saw him after his resurrection wasn't it wasn't a man, the, the, the voice that came out, Jesus is alive, the tomb is gone, it was a woman. And I love the story of God. I love how he puts things into place is because he knew, well, people would discredit his resurrection because a woman said, he's alive. She was the first. They were the first to see Jesus. And so for me, it's just like, it's written all over the story. It's written all over theology. And we can have, and here's the other thing that might be like a little frustrating to me. There, there are individuals that, that know this. We talk about it in our like coin class that we believe in women. Now, there's a lot of leadership that has to go around that. There's a lot of, when I say we believe in women, like women teaching. Like Maddie teaches, Kelly teaches, Marlene teaches, we had Gatto teach, I love it, bring it on. Because they have something that I might not bring to the table. They have a uniqueness, a giftedness, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. But I, I, I just, I don't like getting caught up in the feud, and so we even say we, we major on the major. So if there's dialogue theologically that we don't agree on, okay, that's fine. But it's like, if you want to leave, my friend, like you have, we live in America, you can leave. You can find a church that understands your theological preference. That's okay. But for us, this is, this is how we're going to run. I just believe that women have something to say. And I don't want to put a cap on them because they're educated. Okay? In that time, they were lower than a slave. And can I just be honest to the women, because I love you, sometimes there's a little too much gossip that might be more on the women's side than the man's side. And that honestly, within context, is what Paul was pushing at. He was saying, the women need to be silent, because they're just they're saying things, and it's getting out of hand, and it's not even theologically right, and they need to be silent. Tell them to like, zip it. So we can do a whole conversation on that. So yet Jesus spoke to this woman. Not only was she a woman, she was also a woman of notorious character. No decent man, let alone a rabbi, would have been seen in her company or even exchanging a word with her. And yet Jesus spoke to her. Jesus didn't care about what the culture said to do. He did what he knew was healthy and true and loving and right. Oftentimes in our culture, when we do the right thing, it's now, quote, the wrong thing, right? The Bible says in the end times, the good will be bad and the bad will be good. The true will be false and the false will be true. We are living in those days, and I have no idea when Jesus is coming back. I just know we and you and I have a lot of work to do, but we most definitely are living a time where it says, this is the right thing to do, but everyone's saying, no, it's wrong. It's so wrong. It's like... It's, it's written right in front of us in the scriptures. This is what would happen. 
But I don't need to become a critic. I just need to know that I have the king in my heart, that I have the light within me, and I will speak against darkness all my life. But you can do it in a way that's loving and and compassionate. You can model the way of Jesus. Jesus didn't have time for that. He was on mission. You know, sometimes I think we have like issues in the church, and I'm like, this is so silly. What's the mission here? Why are we so caught up with stuff like this? The mission is the gospel. It's to spread the good news, not just within the four walls of this church, but in every embodiment of the culture to which we live in. That is the mission of God. That was the mission of Jesus, for his kingdom to come on earth as it was in heaven. He was on mission. He didn't care what man said about him. He didn't care that this could affect his reputation, which, by the way, like, could you, like, I want you to just think about that for a moment. The fact that he went and spoke to this woman, and then that John put it in writing, he spoke to this woman who was really morally, ethically, like, uh, she was bad. She had a lot of husbands. It wasn't good for her. It, It was bad. He speaks to her, but not just that he speaks to her as a rabbi to a woman in public, but that she's a Samaritan. So Jesus is teaching us the character of his way that we are to love because Maddie has the Imago Day just as much as I do. Kelly has the Imago Day just as much as I do. And so who are we, man? Who are we? And even within like, I know I don't speak Spanish, but I'll just say it. Like even within like the machismo culture, of a man and a father and how he lords over his daughters and how he lords over his wife. Like, what? that is not the way of Jesus. You know what I mean? So it's like, I know a man is unhealthy when he wants to push back on that. It's like, hey, bro, like, are you threatened with your wife? No, man. Like, you guys function in different capacities. It's not about role. It's about function. It's not about, quote, title. It's about our function together. And so I'm going all over the place, like with marriage and women and all that stuff. All all this to say, Jesus broke the barriers. He broke the walls. He said, I'm going to build bridges. I'm not going to build walls. I'm going to empower. I'm going to love. I'm going to show compassion. And the world, even theologically, the Pharisees can say what they have to say. I'm going to listen to my father because that's the only person I care about listening to. That's the only voice that I will allow to propel me to the future. You can say this, you can say that, you can have your discussions, you can go out and have coffee and gossip about it, but I'm in one mission and one mission only, and it's the kingdom of heaven. That was Jesus's mission. That was Jesus's way. And so while we're on that route, yeah, we are to love and show compassion. We are not to be a critic to one another. We're to be a friend. And, and for me, like, I have two daughters, and I love how strong they are. Kelly and I have this conversation all the time. It, it stresses me out. Church, you got to pray for me, please. Because Lenya, like, stresses me out with how strong and, like, stubborn and disobedient she is. She loves the word no. I'm like, what? Where are you learning this? And it's like, sometimes when I'm really frustrated and I'm upset, I have to pause and I have to say, no, 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 I prayed for this. I prayed that she would be a strong woman. 
I prayed that she would be courageous and that she wouldn't let someone tell her what to do. But just not dad and just not mom. <laughs> so, so then what we do then, here's, here's the health in this, is we take what the gift of God is in any person in this church, in your children. You see their gift and maybe they, they, they need a rabbi to teach them the right way to just aim that gift, that energy into the right direction. Could you imagine how powerful Lenya will be because she's so strong? She doesn't care what you think. I want her to keep that for the rest of her life. Could you imagine how powerful she would be in the kingdom of heaven when she's at work or when she's with her family or when someone says something about her at school? Could you imagine the confidence? That's what God says for all of us to embody. We have a new confidence. We have a new power. We have a new way, and it's found in the power and the spirit of God to be compassionate, not to be a critic, not to be rude and disrespectful because of what's going on. And yeah, there's discipleship in that, and there's pastoring in that, and there's conversation in that, but I just want people to look at coin and not say, well, they're, you know, they're theologically like inaccurate because they're just kids. That's fine, they could say that. No, I, I don't know if I care so much about the Pharisee, I care about the lost. I care about the one who's so far from God, they just need hope. I, I care about the man or the woman that is suicidal, that doesn't care about like the theological argument about women in ministry. Like he's, he's considering suicide, man. What are we talking about? I, I care about the, the person that their marriage is, is on the rock, it's, it's about to end. And so when, when I think about all of those things when you come to church, by the way, not the lights and the this, and sometimes it bothers me, and I'm like, ah, and then I'm like, no, what's the mission? It's the kingdom of heaven. And so that, that's the cry. My, my prayer is the cry for our community is that we would be people on mission, that we would embody the way of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So how do I have to reframe my body and my words and my mouth and my mind towards Christ because he is my rabbi? So in all of this, where are you? Where are you, man? Are you primarily focused on your assignment or on God's assignment? You see, his assignment was to usher in the kingdom of heaven. To a Jew who read this, it was astonishing. They were both confused and astonished. To know that Jesus broke barriers and threw away internal limitations was a game changer for the way of the kingdom. So here we see the beginning of the magnitude and the impact of the gospel. Here is God so loving the world, John 3, not just in theory, but in action. That's how you love the world. You don't just say it. You live it. You embody it. So, what is God speaking to you right now? What are the things that he's calling you to? Maybe there are relationships that you have been too critical of. Maybe there are people that you have just seen the baggage of. Maybe there's mindsets that has been limiting 
for your future. Maybe you just keep going around and around and around instead of going through. Wherever you're at, my challenge to you is that Jesus shows a new way. A new way to think and to process and to dream and to interact. A new way to live. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we come before you this morning. And I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the good news. I thank you, God, that you are ever so pressing on our minds and our hearts. God, I, I pray for that person in the room that sort of like is struggling with who you are and not quite sure how to cross that, that line of faith. And Lord, I know, Jesus, that you have been chasing them and showing them your goodness. You have been chasing them and showing them love. And for whatever reason, they made it here or they're online or they're watching or they're listening to this. And there's that still small voice amidst the chaos of the other voices that says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Stop running, son. Stop running, daughter. Take on my yoke. Take on my way of working. Take on my way of thinking and being. And let me teach you the rhythms of life. Let me teach you a new way because the way you're doing it is going to kill you. Even for the person that's like, man, I feel like I'm living hell here on earth. Well, see, with Jesus, you can begin to live heaven here on earth. You will have trouble and you will have hard times. You will have suffering. But with him, there is always a new way. So if you're in the room and you're having this like internal dialogue with your soul and in your mind, you're like, I just want to give Jesus my life. I don't know how. I don't know what that looks like. Well, it's really simple. All it is is, Jesus, I give you my life. It's Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you in the room, I I'm going to ask that you would just raise your hand just so I could see, just so I know, um, and so that God knows if you're wrestling with this, if, you if you're desiring to cross the line of faith. If you're in the room and you're, you're like, I'm ready to give Jesus my life, could you just raise your hand so I could see it? Let's pray, God, I pray for the individuals in the room and online and listening to this that desire to cross that line of faith and to just step into the newness of all that you've called them into. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in them even now, that they would take on discipleship as a new way of living, that they would take you on as their master and as their rabbi and as their teacher, and that they would walk in your goodness, knowing that they will stumble, knowing that they will mess up, knowing that they will make mistakes, but that you show them a new way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.